Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. I am very excited about our guest today. He is a mentor of mine, Giovanni Marcico. He is one of the most open-hearted, open-minded business leaders I've ever been around. He's really uh, the catalyst even for this podcast. He was uh, He identified me as a young man uh, who had something to say in the world, who had some good to contribute, and he has helped me leverage it ever since and has really been beyond generous in connections and, and trying to help me uh, with the right people to learn uh, how to go into this craft and, and how to help uh, myself help others. He is the founder of Archangel Academy and in the live form, he does these big, awesome, uh, thousands of people uh, filled events called Archangel Summit. And then he is, has just launched his Dreamer documentary, which he is extremely proud of, which will come through in this podcast. It's outstanding. I've seen it. Uh, and that really captures Giovanni. He really is uh, the brightest, most powerful dreamer that I have met to date. He organized his life around being able to do so. And I'm very happy to share uh, how generous he was with his time today on how he's able to do that. And I know you will learn something from this brilliant man as I so, uh, I so have myself. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Giovanni Marcico, uh, welcome to the Curious Competitor podcast. Probably, if I had to pick one person most responsible for the fact that I have a podcast, aside from Lexi, who introduced me to the art form, uh, you might be the cause. Uh, you might be the catalyst. And I know you take a lot of pride in that part of your personality, being able to identify, you know, strengths and weaknesses in, in different people and helping them explore uh, that about themselves. Take me through, because I know you're you got this so integrated and dialed in your origin story a little bit to who you are today and how we met and how we had, how we're having this conversation. Well, it, to me, it's the funniest story. So amongst a bunch of things, we produce a large scale experience for entrepreneurs, for leaders, for change makers called Archangel Summit uh, that gets thousands of people typically in person. Um, <laughs> this year has been a little different. Uh, but we've done it for five years in a row. And uh, after the event, and this is like uh, a lot of thought leaders on stage, speaking, entertainment, really big production. And then after the experience for anyone who has a VIP ticket, we do a dinner. And often during the dinner, we'll go up to different attendees, thanking them for coming, uh, interact. And you, at one point, my, my, my now fiance, Dr. Stephanie, and I were sitting for dinner and you and a friend approached us to thank us for the event. I had no idea who you were, which is hilarious. Um, and typically when someone in my world says, I'm, cause I think I asked you, what, what do you do? And you said, uh, yep. we're, we're, we're in professional sports or something along those lines. I'm like, Oh cool. You must be some kind of entrepreneur, some coach, something. So I asked a deeper question. And I think at the time you said, well, I, I'm with the Toronto Maple Leafs and my buddy's with the Washington Capitals. And then it was like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, <laughs> I should know these things living in Toronto. Uh, so, it, but it, it, I think it formed a fun friendship. And then we've become friends and have had epic conversations and um, gotten to know each other a lot better since then. 
But to me, it's, it's still my, one of my favorite stories from the event uh, because I don't watch television. I um, will watch sports for specific reasons. Uh, but again, like I, it was just hilarious. <laughs> well, and I remember the reason I even had a ticket was I forget who I, you know, connected with, but they connected with you. And I knew I could, it was during training camp with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And or I think it was right before, right before training camp. What was it? I think it was 2017, maybe 2018. I think 2018, because I got uh, moved out of town, I think, after that training camp. Besides the point. And it was like, it's really cool looking back, because it was one of those little actions that's had massive repercussions. And I know you have a close relationship with serendipity, uh, which is a word that, you know, you've really, uh, it's become contagious for me, and I've started to look for it. But it was basically, I was drinking, uh, like, those butter coffees at the time, and you had Dave Asprey talking, and Dr. Hyman, I just picked up his book, So it was really, I wanted to go to the event for information on physical health. I'm an athlete. I wanted an edge. I knew what time they were speaking. We were practicing in the morning and I knew I could get to the Archangel Summit, you know, at some point before uh, they had hit the stage. And I was just blown away by the quality of, of person and leader that was present as, as uh, audience members of the group, like the different conversations I had and, uh, what exactly is Archangel Summit? How did you become this modern day, if anyone goes to look at your Instagram, you know, or, or as Jim quick, I asked Jim quick for some dirt on you prior to the podcast. And he just, <laughs> he had nothing, but he was oozing with uh, positivity saying Giovanni Marcico is my professor X and I would follow him anywhere. So what is your story behind becoming a modern day professor X and what can our audience learn about themselves through the lens of, of your story with that? Well, I, I feel like I live a, I live in a dream and that's kind of the point, uh, where my life now is a real life superhero movie, uh, where I'm surrounded by people uh, like you who have giant hearts. They have a gift that they want to share with a lot of people that they want to help a lot of people. And to me, we are modern day superheroes. Uh, you know, the, the fictional stories that we see that I fell in love with as a kid, are, are, are actually things that we can create. Now we may not be able to fly, uh, or at least not yet, uh, but we can create change and, and positive impact. And, uh, you know, growing up, uh, I'll, I'll share the quick story. I was in elementary school and I went to a new school and it was at a time when they did IQ testing and I was labeled as gifted with a very high IQ. And I started getting bullied in school and hated the word gifted because of the connection to the, the bullying. And then in high school, discovered comic books, uh, discovered the X-Men. And in my very first X-Men uh, page that I opened, it said, Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. And the word gifted showed up again, but this time it meant superpower. And it meant people who had a gift that they can share. And it changed my life. And back then, this is in high school, I thought, when I grow up, I want to be a real life Professor X. And it was a, a, almost a joke at the time. And my friends would think I'm crazy, but that crazy joke turned into uh, a real life business that's doing super well in a global community of people like us who all want to inspire a lot of people. And that's also led to producing a film that's led to giant events, uh, coaching programs, all sorts of fun things where every day I I love what I do. I don't ever feel like uh, people use the word work in a negative context. Usually like I have to go to work to me. I get to go to work. I get to, create. I get to be an artist. I get to help people. It's awesome. Well, and there's a little 
tipping of the sign of your love for etymology and your ability to be, you know, so decisive with your words. And I think what's super cool about your ability, and for anyone who hasn't been to Giovanni's events, uh, look into Giovanni's Facebook group, his Instagram, uh, truly an incredible group of individuals from every time zone I know of. I've been able to be a part of uh, two events now, the in-person and one of the virtual how did you, I think this is cool because in high school, you skipped one part, the DJ part. And I only know this because I've heard the story <laughs> before. So what role did DJing play and how did this circle back into your life after, you know, you had gained some stable ground? And I understand, uh, you know, for people who are listening who may not know your background, you were able to, you know, kind of get some stable financial footing with your life in the real estate world. And, and the, all these thoughts, the Professor X, gifted, DJing, events not really loving what you do, but having some free brain space and, and time to spend time with people who did love what they do. How did all that alchemy come together and, and become the Archangel Academy that it is today? When I was 16, my best friend and I started going to what in Toronto was called all ages dance parties. So parties for teenagers uh, where you didn't need ID. There was no alcohol. It was more about just having fun. And we thought we can do this. We can probably do this better. And we know a lot of people. So we, I don't know how, but at, at 16 years old, rented a, an Italian banquet hall, uh, pr printed flyers, uh, produced an event, had sound and lighting, all this crazy stuff. Uh, and at the time I was already DJing for little events and, you know, birthday parties. And we had a thousand people show up and it was at, at the end of that event, we were blown away thinking, I can't believe we can do something so much fun that we love to do, bringing people that we love together and we're making money. And that started uh, my event production career, even though there was a lot of resistance from my family, parents and, and teachers and stuff to, to do the traditional route of, uh, you know, get a safe job, go get your degree, get all that stuff which I never ended up doing. Uh, I graduated high school. I went to university first for engineering, which was a challenge getting into. And then even bigger challenge staying because I didn't want to be an engineer. The people who wanted to be engineers were ripping their hair out because of it's so challenging. So I dropped out and that wasn't uh, a very fun time. And I also at the same time stopped doing events, even though we, at one point we had 5,000 people a week coming to our, our wow. all ages dance party things. We had concerts, we had, uh, it was fun. It was hilarious. But I stopped that. And then it was the first time I ever experienced anxiety and depression because something felt like it was missing or not aligned. Um, and through a series of events, um, I, I really fell in love with marketing back then too. So I started doing marketing jobs. My last job I ever had was doing the marketing at a company called Strategic Coach run by a guy named Dan Sullivan, who it was the best job ever because I, I got to be around all these successful entrepreneurs and discovered that that's who I am. And I left that role to start my own marketing, coaching, and consulting business. And that led me into real estate because one of my clients, I was helping them scale their business and, uh, we crushed it. So she said, why don't you quit your consulting partner with me, do all the marketing and we'll do really well. Uh, I did. And I actually got my real estate license, but I never liked it at all. Um, and I didn't understand the idea of alignment with, with your path and who you are and all that kind of stuff back then. It, to me, it was, I have to pay the bills and I have to make money. 
and that was what was taught to me. Um, but again, it always felt like something was missing and there was no fulfillment and meaning. It was just about chasing money. And I did really well. And that allowed me to invest in myself and personal development and going to mastermind events and big events and building my network. So through that process, I, uh, I got to the, where I wanted to be just not being fulfilled. And that started, or it was the impetus or the catalyst for me starting this archangel thing back in 2014, where I needed my own outlet. I needed to create another event, bringing people like me together, people who were more about mission and meaning than money, but money was the tool that fuels the mission. So it wasn't that money is an evil thing. It was, how do we make a lot of money to help even more people? And then it just blew up and grew. And now I, I quit real estate in 2016 and went all in with the Archangel Project. And now we're doing super awesome. Well, and I think one of the reasons I've taken such an admiration for you and Dr. Stephanie Seam, your awesome fiance, is I wrote down some key words when I, when I think of Giovanni Marcico. And one of the things I wrote down was, I don't know if it's a real term, but like holistic richness. And when I think of you definitely champion in my mind, financial wealth, for sure. I think it allows you to have a stable home and, and, you know, be able to say yes to a lot of things or no to a lot of things based on what you want to do, which is great. Uh, relationship health. I think that you really take this seriously and, and always do and make it a real priority. I would, I would assume, you know, I haven't checked your calendar or your bank account, but even uh, if you were to look there, your priorities would show up. And of course, health. So I think, uh, you know, I understand in your entrepreneurial journey that there was a spiritual, physical, uh, I guess, combination where you were able to shed, you know, a lot of weight. And it was sort of a, a body image, mental image uh, topic that Stephanie asked me to dive into with you today. So what was, what was your physical health doing alongside this entire career path that had so many... I mean, gosh, kind of like pauses or bookmarks and circling backs and, um, you know, what was the, the physical health, the physical toll? And then when you were able to get as healthy and as strong and as fit as you are today, what was that process like? It's funny because yesterday on Facebook, Facebook now will show you posts from years ago, right? It was like five years ago, this is what you posted. And it was a photo of myself and I was extremely puffy. So, so, uh, that was 2015 and at the beginning of 2016, when I quit real estate from January to September, I shed 70 pounds and, wow. um, and have basically kept it off since. But the, the equation I made in my head was that the additional weight I was carrying around was connected to unresolved pain. It was connected to, um, challenging conversations I wasn't having. It was connected to not being aligned with who I am and the journey I, I am truly meant for. And when I quit real estate, it was also the catalyst for my own personal health transformation. It felt like the, the weight melted off. Uh, and I, I, I prioritized health optimization and I prioritized um, daily ritual and, and routines and for a struggle, I've, I've, I struggle with weight probably for two decades. And it's interesting. It's all connected back to that. When I, when I mentioned, when I stopped doing the events, it was the first time I felt anxiety and depression. 
to me, what those things are, are not something wrong with you. Uh, like there may be chemical imbalances, that kind of thing. But for me, it's more around your body as an intuitive guide, almost like a GPS, using emotion to point you in the right direction. So when you, for me, when I feel anxiety or what people will call depression or negative emotions, it's my body saying something's not aligned right now, wake up and figure out what's going on. And the, the only reason I've come to that conclusion is because I've now experienced the opposite. I, in 2015 was the first time I had what I call a bliss attack, which is to me is the opposite of a panic attack. I felt every positive emotion flowing through me like a lightning bolt. And I had never, or I hadn't experienced that kind of thing since those party days when I was producing events. And I've had more and more of those all the time. I haven't felt depression since I quit the real estate stuff. I haven't, um, and anxiety will only appear more as excitement around something big and fun that's happening. But my, my calmness and my peace levels have skyrocketed. It's, it's fascinating. Like I don't ever, um, I, I don't feel fear in the same ways anymore. And I feel so much more calm and connected to myself and to Stephanie and to my kids and everything that's happening. And I feel like these emotions are, are a reactive guide to my path. And I feel so aligned with who I am and where I'm going and who I need to help. You know, and I, I relate to that. We've talked about this in private on, you know, phone calls we've had where I've experienced something similar. You know, I, I remember as a younger pro, as an athlete, I would be, I don't know, anxiety ridden. I would be a person who thought a lot, sometimes at unwelcome times, you know, mid, uh, mid game in between shifts, my mind would, would wander and, and the hamster upstairs would get spinning and, and run around. And I, at certain points in my life, wished away this thoughtfulness. I was like, why can't I be more robotic? Why can't I be more numb and just go out and play and, and not answer to what I recognize now. And I guess the start of me using it really is, is the podcast. I think it's a a easy access point, which is why I've been able to transfer over and dip into this world while I'm still playing. Uh, but we had a conversation about like strengths unused or gifts that are untapped end up becoming your curse. And I think that, you know, that was something that really sat with me when you explained that where, you know, Connor, if you're not going to use your empathy, if you're not going to use your creativity, if you're not going to use your thoughtfulness, it's going to haunt you and it's going to tap on your shoulder and show up as anxiety and remind you that it's not going anywhere until you pay respect to what you've been given. Do I have that about right? A hundred percent. And so closely related to that, closely related that I consider you an expert on imposter syndrome, which I think is something that I don't know if there's a person on earth that hasn't necessarily experienced this at some point is an uncomfortable feeling, but you know, I'm someone I'm, I'm trying to step into something that, you know, I haven't been, I've been a hockey player for 20 years. I've, I've played since I was four or five, uh, being a thought leader, being a podcaster, being, you know, I don't know if, uh, if a coach to some is, is the right term yet. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. Um, but what is, when you go through imposter syndrome with one of your clients or through yourself, what are you trying to explain? How do you step into that and not run away from it? 
it's such a fascinating topic in general, because first, let me, let me share some angles or a bunch of angles. Um, I'm really lucky to be able to help a lot of different people who are on different, they're at different parts of the journey when it comes to entrepreneurship and growing things. So we have people who are dreaming of one day, I want to start a business. And then we have people who are starting off and then we have people who are scaling. And then we have people who are running eight and nine figure companies in our, in our Archangel council group. And at every single level, every single person has imposter syndrome. It's, it's the most, one of the most fascinating things for me where everyone feels like I don't fit in here. And I've, I've, I've experienced that on a massive level in the past. Um, and then I've had a few mentors say things that have blown my mind. One is an imposter can't have imposter syndrome because if you're actually an imposter, you won't even, it's like you, you don't have that awareness. Um, so the fact that you're anxious about these things means that you're not an imposter. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, uh, Seth Godin, who's spoken at a bunch of our events, he's one, of, he's my favorite author. Uh, if you don't know him, read all his books. Uh, he's had 20 bestsellers with respect to things like marketing. Um, and he's at, at the last big event he spoke at, he said, we are all imposters because we're growing. And the, the only way to grow, uh, you know, if, if you're someone like me, who's a dreamer, who thinks about the future, who imagines change that can happen or imagines growth or something better, you're not there yet. You're an imposter until you get there. So it's not necessarily even a bad thing. It's, it's a sign of, of ambition. It's a sign of growth. And to accept the fact that we are always changing and evolving and getting better, hopefully, if, if we focus on craft and mastery. And I think being okay with that idea and that concept will make it so much better that you you invest the time to train. And, uh, you know, I love having conversations with you about the, the world of professional sports because there's so much parallel or there are so many parallels between personal growth and, and professional growth and then athletic growth where the majority of your time is spent training. It's not performing. It's not on the ice, uh, at, you know, playing the actual game. That may be 20 minutes of your life in a week or, you know, like whatever it is versus the hours and hours you put into craft, into drills, into working out, into mindset, into all the things that prepare you for that 20 minutes. And, and that to me is the thing that most people don't talk about, the, the craft and the training versus the performing. I, th I found that really interesting because I was lucky enough, you invited me to, to speak on like, we'll use that word imposter again, like an expert panel on one of the Archangel uh, Summit events. And I was honored because I was on the other side of the screen trying to learn uh, not long ago. And, and you brought that up. You're like, Connor, how, how much time are you actually spending in the moment of, of heat, in the moment of competition? And I don't even, I don't even segregate the two. I don't even separate the two that way because in my mind, literally the same, the exact same intensity is brought to my first five minutes of foam rolling when I show up to the rink <laughs> to the first three strides I take on the ice for a warm up, to the moment the puck drops. Like there is no off switch when it, it's all blended into one. It's all performance to me. And I thought that was a really interesting point where you were talking about how important the work behind the scenes is so that when the lights are on, it's showtime, it's flow, it's automated. And I thought that 
I was like, wow, he, he, Giovanni was able to pick something on my story that can relate to his entrepreneurs. Cause I was thinking that I'm like, okay, how am I going to relate to these people that work in the real world and sell real <laughs> products and, and do all these things while I'm just trying to, you know, stand on top of these frozen swords and, and move a, a rubber disc around ice, uh, <laughs> while not, while not getting killed. And, uh, you know, you kind of teed that one up for me. So I was, I was very grateful that you had that insight that I guess I was just missing because it, it was just second nature for me. Right. And that's what makes you awesome. <laughs> there was one thing you were talking about earlier. Uh, and I, I want to, you know, come back to in your physical health journey was you made mention you were avoiding uh, particularly hard conversations and conflict in your life. And uh, a little birdie might have hinted me to go this direction as well. <laughs> Uh, so I did consult, uh, your fiance, Steph on this one. And she had mentioned that you, you maybe had, uh, some points in your life where you were avoiding hard conversations, either with yourself or others in conflict. And I, how did you first recognize that you had a problem with this? Because I think I share something similar. I like everyone to get along. I'm kind of the oldest brother of three. So I was usually breaking up fights and, you know, really participating in them, that kind of thing. How did you learn that this was first an issue and how did you go about fixing it? Sometimes the biggest challenges and opportunities are innate to us because we just assume it's the way it's supposed to be. I, uh, I first discovered all of this recently. Uh, I'm, I'm 44 years old. And over the past few years, I've really invested a lot of time, energy, and effort into doing personal work and in working with different types of experts and therapists, there was one specific therapist who asked all the right questions. And one of them was, what do you do when someone says something or does something that's not aligned with your values? And it was like, Oh, I, I don't do anything. And, and, and the reason I don't is because um, I want to be a peacekeeper and I want to make sure everything is, is okay. And then in, in that process, doing a lot of uncovering to realize that pattern of behavior is connected to painful experiences as a kid, painful experiences uh, as a teenager, um, and all sorts of things where every time I did speak up, it would cause trouble. So I trained myself to be quiet so that I would stay uh, or avoid conflict. And uh, that became a routine and a pattern that was almost programmed into my brain in my subconscious that I didn't realize was even happening. And I would, even as an adult, get in trouble for not, it's not for what I said, but for what I didn't say or, or the lack of speaking up in the, in the right times. So now, having uncovered that pattern, doing the work of figuring out, okay, taking maybe even baby steps when, when something happens now, I'm, my brain is like, Oh, it's an opportunity to speak up. And that's the thing that's in my head all the time. That's like something happened. Cool. It's an opportunity to speak up and, and turning that even into a craft and, and into a practice where the more you do it, the easier it becomes like anything, but the more you do it and the more you are aware of it, the easier it becomes. And then this year, um, 
one of my friends, a guy named Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who, uh, I don't have you ever met him, but if you haven't, he, he should be on the show. For I haven't, sure. but I, I've seen I, him all over your feed. Yeah. Um, he wrote a book, a, a groundbreaking book, I believe called personality isn't permanent. That changes everything around how I, how a lot of people now think about the idea of personality. If, if, if someone listening, if you're listening and you've ever said this, the phrase, it's just the way I am, that's complete bull. Uh, we all, we're not only always changing, we can actually proactively change even personality, even behavior, all of these things. So I would highly recommend that book. Um, and I can connect you to Ben for him to be on this show. Cause that'd be awesome. I would love that. And I, and I have bookmarked that book. I'm, I'm, uh, nose deep in a couple different parenting books. Cause I'm trying to, you know, crash <laughs> for, uh, the crash study for the test in, in February when Lexi's due. And I guess I, relate to something similar where instead of, it wasn't necessarily a therapist who was able to guide me down this direction, but my wife, you know, she would uh, pick it up in moments of, of strife or, or conflict, either when others, I, you know, had wronged me or uh, maybe we had had an argument and my tell was I would go in and the hamster upstairs would start to run and I would get real quiet. I'd get real quiet and then someone would say, you know, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? And, and you'd get nothing out of me. And then all of a sudden, it would ramble. I would explode uh, with, you know, anger and vitriol and bite. And it's interesting because I didn't necessarily have this issue in hockey. Like when it comes to Connor Carrick, the hockey player, like I was all for, uh, you know, stand up for yourself, you know, sort of some alpha male energy, uh, a leader in the room kind of thing. I had no issue, you know, even as, as far as, to an extent, you know, when, when coaches had had an issue with me and I thought, you know, I've gotten yelled at, hey, it, it wasn't my turnover. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> like, I'm not going the rest of the game missing shifts because you think I turned the puck over. It wasn't me. <laughs> like, you, you're watching the game. Uh, but it was in my personal life where, you know, I kind of felt like I was too poised to get my feathers all ruffled up. I was, I was too, I was above that. You know, I wanted to stay in integrity or handle things with class. And it's, you can do that, but, you know, clamming up and going inward uh, wasn't doing me or my friends or my wife, you know, any, any favors. And it's been, I don't know if I'm necessarily at that light bulb moment as quickly as you right now, where I'm recognizing it as an opportunity, uh, but I am starting to consciously realize that this is unconsciously something I've been doing. Yeah, look for look for those mini opportunities when a thing happens and it gives you the the chance to. I, I use the phrase "speak up" because that's ingrained. Even if it's, um, uh, I, I was at a pharmacy the other day buying. I can't remember what I was buying, like some little gadget thing, and there was no one at the cash. And in the past, I would have literally waited 20 minutes until someone showed up. And I'm like, oh, cool, opportunity, speak up. So I was like, hey, is anyone here? <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's such a s silly thing, but it's, it's, it's first recognizing the program and then altering it in, a, in micro steps. And that leads to massive change. Well, very similar, I think, to even the title of the book, and I'm not going to jump to conclusions what it's about uh, by Ben Hardy, but the personality isn't permanent. I would consider myself today like an extroverted introvert. I have no problem speaking uh, in groups of people, in small groups, 
Uh, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily something that energizes me. It's usually something I have to recover from, you know, when I go home, um, I'm usually zonked and, you know, even after podcasts, I kind of, you know, have my five, 10 minutes of Zen and, and re-energize before I go back into home life or doing whatever else we're doing. And I think it stems from, I was even the type of kid similar to this where, you know, if I was at a, I was at a hockey rink at a concession stand and I wanted whatever it was, let's call it chicken tenders. I would make my brother go ask. I'd be like, Hey, dad, give me five bucks. Can you go ask the girl over there for, you know, the, I want to order a chicken tender. He'd be like eight years old. He'd be six, but he was the more outgoing one. Oddly enough, I was, you know, a little conservative and cautious. And I think some of those tendencies are, you know, they're, they didn't just die overnight. They're still inside me, you know, somewhere. And, and sometimes they work great and, and service me and other times, you know, not so much. So it's something that I'd like to think I'm open, I'm open-minded enough to change. And it's just up to me to figure out in what direction I want to head at, at any given time. But I do believe you know, very similar. And I think, uh, your friend Todd Herman, who you introduced me to with the alter ego kind of helps with that too, where he's able to create certain lanes in which, you know, okay, hockey Connor, this is how he, you know, has permission to act. And this is family time, you know, Connor, and this is podcast and so on and so forth. Is that something that, how do you relate to the different lanes of yourself? How are you able to go from a coaching call to leading, uh, a, you know, being on stage in front of, you know, four or five, 10, however thousand people show up at your events to dialing it back and being at home with the kids? How are you able to navigate these different arenas of life for yourself? I love Todd and his book and it's called the alter ego effect. And the idea is that you can, embody an alter ego in different circumstances. So in your context, the person on the ice or for any athlete on the field or whatever it is, uh, your, your alter ego may be super aggressive, dominating, and you don't want to bring that home to a family or to little kids. And then I know Todd, uh, for him, when he goes home, his alter ego is Mr. Rogers. So that's who he is with the kids, with his children. And I love that. I, um, I, I don't go to that level. I try to stay calm, peaceful, grounded in all the things. And that's what's worked for me. Um, whenever, so if you see me at one of our events with, you know, 3,000 people, I'm completely the same energy as I am right now. People find it very weird, especially people in my world who do big events where there's so much anxiety and so much firefighting. And uh, I've designed everything so that I can stay at this level and stay in parasympathetics and stay calm. And it has allowed me to become more um, successful in things because there's never panic. One of the things that I love having conversations with Stephanie is the idea that there's no this is my kind of philosophy. There's no utility for worry. There's no point. Um, so if, if someone wants to worry or panic, it's more of a reaction, but it's not, I don't think it's useful unless there's an immediate date. Like there's a tiger in front of you. Okay. I get it. But that's, that's more take action than sit and think about a negative, potentially future thing. The other cool thing I've I've 
realized is that fear is actually a good thing. And the only difference between excitement and worry is your perceived notion of the outcome. But both in both cases, it's fear. You're, you're experiencing the emotion of fear. But if, if, if you believe a positive outcome will happen, then you experience the fear as excitement. And if you believe a negative outcome might happen, you experience the fear as anxiety or worry or panic. Uh, in either context, you're thinking about the future. It's not a present moment thing. The, but your body reacts in the present moment. So we all have this choice to realize we're in control of the present moment by thinking about, by, by changing the state of how we think about the future. And that's the, it's, it's the effort of, of shifting what you think might happen or could happen to a positive outcome. And it's hard work because we're kind of pre-programmed to be negative. Uh, but when you put in that energy and doing that work, you shift from paranoia, which everyone knows that word, to my favorite word, pronoia. And pronoia means uh, the universe is conspiring in your favor. And I love that kind of thinking. I started two things. I have uh, seen you at your events and you are, you do have this groundedness, this, this unflappable, <laughs> unflappability. Is that a word? Where there's the, that even keelness and it's very, you know, frankly, it's contagious as soon as you're around someone. And we talk about this a lot in hockey where, you know, the game's going poorly. You're one play away from resetting the whole nervous system of the team. You're on the road. And I remember, um, it was actually a, a scratch this game. It was a playoff game, Leafs versus Boston. But it, I'll never forget just the, the air suction out of a rink. There was, you know, 25,000 fans in Boston. Uh, Boston had just scored. Uh, they won the opening, the, the next faceoff. They dump it in. And Ron Hainsey, you know, who, if anyone's ever met Ron Hainsey, like he, he, you know, reads the paper before he puts his skates on and goes plays a game. Like he's sitting in his <laughs> stall, you know, taking a nap. He's, he's, he's half asleep. Uh, and then he throws his skates on and all of a sudden he's out there making plays and he's, I don't even know how many NHL games he's got. It's, I think it's well over a thousand. But anyway, there's this little play, he's playing his offside. So it gets rimmed around and it's a tougher pickup off the wall. And he makes this, the, the building is still on fire. They're announcing the last goal. And he makes this little pop play to the middle off this rim and launches, you know, Toronto in on a three on two. And we didn't end up scoring, but like, all of the fans in Boston, all the air was lost from the cheer and you were just one play away. And I always admired that. And I have it, you know, when I'm playing well in my career, the building can be on fire and I'm still making plays. Uh, that's that flow state. And you're almost able to see, I don't know if you experienced this, but when I'm playing like the immediate threat, the person right in front of me is just noise. Like I've already got them Rubik's cubed and solved. I'm looking past them at layers two and three, <laughs> you know, up the rink. And I feel like that you have this in a business sense where you see the issues in front of you. You've built the team to handle it. You're able to, you know, douse the water with fire before it really gets too hot. Um, and that allows you to play big. That allows you to play above the game and, and work on your craft, work on your business instead of like working in it all the time. How have you built the team? And I think part of it personality wise is just who you are, you know, to, to leverage that term the other way. I do feel like it, it comes naturally to you. Some of this groundedness, at least as far as I can tell, as long as I've known you, but in terms of keeping it in those moments of heat, how have you been able to build the team and support staff 
And I guess we can loop into the habits that serve this groundedness and peace that you have it. You can tell even in this podcast, like you just have that pause afterwards. You're in no rush to go anywhere. And how we're talking here is how you talk on stage. Yeah. I, <laughs> a few days ago, Stephanie and I were watching um, Joe Rogan interview Kanye West. And first it was the most fascinating interview and I actually fell in love with Kanye. I wasn't really a fan before and actually I thought he was crazy and crazy is not always a bad thing. I, I think a lot of people are considered crazy until they do something and all of a sudden they're a genius. But uh, I never really understood him until that interview. And one of the things he said when I realized he's, he's one of us, uh, and I, I may be paraphrasing, but the, the phrase was, I live in the future and I time travel to the present to hang out once in a while. And I thought, whoa, that's me. I, I literally live in the future. I dream, all, dreaming is my superpower. The thing that I was told to stop doing my whole childhood, like stop dreaming, get your head out of the clouds. Th that's who I am and that's what I do. I live in the future and I time travel back to right now to have this conversation with you. Um, and what I've built is a dream team that allows me to keep dreaming and then I come back and I tell them what the dream is and, and, and basically say, this is what the future looks like. And then they help me execute and help me build in present day, the actual dream that I see for the future. And there's this beautiful relationship there. Um, and the, uh, going back to one of your analogies, I, I, I'm very grateful that in elementary school, I played chess. I was actually on the chess team. And when you understand how chess works, you always have to be 10 moves. Like the chess masters, they've already finished the game before you even started. It's kind of crazy. And I'm, I'm nowhere near that level. And I, I got destroyed in the citywide grade eight tournament um, by some other kid. Uh, but that's, it's, it's, it's that. It's understanding that if you plan for 10 steps ahead and you're living out there, life becomes a little more predictable where you don't have to worry too much about um, stuff going wrong because you're getting, you get really good at seeing patterns. You get really good at predicting outcomes. You get really good at understanding the path and journey you're on. I love that. And so when you are in the future, like where are your moments of how do you set up your day to foster this type of creativity? Like what does that actually look like in a day or in a week? so that you can leverage this, this genius that you have. When do you, when do you come back? Like when is your time spent in the future and when do you come back? I, I actually, and I'm glad you mentioned this when we first started, I actually have dreaming in my calendar. So I have dedicated dream time, which for some people might be journaling, it might be ideation, but I, I, I believe that if you want to see what someone actually, um, what's important to them, check their calendar kind of thing. So I block off time in the mornings for ideation, for dreaming, for imagining, and I've turned it into a habit and a muscle. Um, I also have a, a funny quirk that I discovered that some, most of my best ideas happen in the shower and it happened uh, um, without my, it wasn't proactive. It just sort of, I, I kept having these downloads. So I thought if that's the case, what if I proactively turn my shower time into a, a meditative state and a flow state. So now I have a, a whole daily practice in my shower where I go in uh, with the intention of, of cleaning myself, but also to, I go in with an idea 
or like a problem I want to solve or a puzzle. And then I have this, this thing, I can literally get into a flow state in the shower and all time and space goes away. And then I, I start getting the most amazing downloads and then I come out and write them all down and it's become a daily habit. You know, I was talking to Ian Happ, who's an outfielder for the Chicago Cubs. And we we're talking about mental process. And I thought, who better to talk to than a baseball player? Just because their, their rate to failure is so high. The moments of tension, the length of it between pitches is so long compared to hockey can be generally pretty easy to get into flow state, right? Like we're, we're you're, you're, the game's so fast. You're, the, the pace of play is high. There's not very long TV timeouts. You know, baseball, if you're, there's just such a different pace. And he made mention that he's like, from the moment I leave the dugout, I can tell you every single movement, like it's so ingrained. It's such a trigger for me for performance that when I show up at the batter's box, like it's dominate, it's pure domination. That's my thought process. So that's something that I've tried to combine like Todd Herman's thought of the alter ego. Okay. What are the, you know, some of the words and, and the, the way that I think of myself, what are some of the visualizing pictures that I'll use pregame pre-practice? Uh, I'll use a similar thing where like triggers, what, can I use for a lot of hockey players, for example, unfortunately, it's like the ammonia smelling salts, which I don't necessarily <laughs> recommend because I can't imagine that's great for brain cells. I'll have to talk to Steph about that. But <laughs> like I've used, uh, I, I've used essential oils to smell, to signal it's game time. You know, I kind of have uh, certain words in the way that I take my sticks. So I think that that's, that's pretty brilliant. So in terms of the shower time, I want to reserve the last bit of this podcast to what does the future look like? What are you dreaming up? And what can we look forward to as witnesses to you and your journey? So outside of wanting to be a real life superhero when I was a kid, the other big thing was movie producer. And it was always a fantasy because I thought I'm not in Hollywood. I don't know anybody. Uh, and then through a series of uh, serendipitous experiences, I started connecting with awesome people. One of them is one of my very good friends, Nick Nansen, who's um, won, I think, 16 Emmy Awards. He's a documentary director, producer, and super awesome entrepreneur. And he approached me two years ago about the idea of making a film. Uh, and I thought, no way. So we, we brainstormed. And right before that, he did one on human trafficking that was incredible but very dramatic and, and like a negative uh, storyline because it's human trafficking. I thought, I don't want to do that. If, if I'm going to make anything, it has to be positive, uplifting, motivational, inspirational, um, and aligned with who I am and, and the journey I'm on. So we came up with a film called Dreamer uh, that is all about people who've had big dreams and have executed on them to create massive impact for a lot of people. And we produced the movie. Uh, we interviewed um, people like Richard Branson in the movie and Seth Godin's in the movie, uh, Peter DeMandis from XPRIZE. Uh, so many awesome humans are in this film. Uh, Jim is in it. Um, and we haven't, e it hasn't even hit um, distribution yet. Like we, we did a, a screening over the summer. We, we weren't going to release it until uh, this winter or, or springtime. But because of the state of the world, we thought people need to see this. So we said, let's just do free screenings online. So we, we did a world premiere in a global week 
and we've had over a hundred thousand people watch it. And then people saying that this movie changed their life. And, and I've been so blown away by all the positivity. Um, and right now we're working on getting into hopefully every school everywhere. So that, that, that's plan one. And then massive distribution, maybe through like a streaming platforms, like the Netflixes and the Hulus and the Amazon primes and stuff. Um, so that's, that changed everything because now I realize my, my next massive dream is to be a platform to tell stories of people like us who are real life superheroes. And I want to invent and create a new genre of film called real life superhero movies, uh, where it's, it's not fiction, it's nonfiction superhero movies of telling real life stories of people who are, are doing really big things. Um, and using that as a way of telling the stories of people that are friends of mine who are buddies, but or or what people in our network or community that I want people to know about as inspirational leaders, so that especially children or, or younger people have new kinds of role models to look up to, where it's like, look at what she did. Wow, she created this massive thing, um, and and I want to be that connector to connecting those stories to the people who need to hear the stories. I love uh, your ability to see, I don't want to call it the unraveling, but you know, some of the chaos and the madness out there in the world and to ask all that to, you know, shift aside and, and to decide that I have this brilliant film. I have this brilliant dreamer documentary that I'm going to bring because people need it. Uh, I think that's why I've been so drawn to learn from you is your ability to focus, dream, and to think of who you can help at the forefront. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm so happy for you that the feedback has been as outstanding as it, as it has been. Um, how was, what was the most difficult process, part of that process? Because I imagine your first film, right? Like first big one of, of something of this nature. What were... What was the imposter syndrome like that for, for this process? What was some of the nooks and crannies that you had to get into that you didn't know how difficult it might be? It's so weird because there was none uh, and, and not because it's not conceit or anything weird like that. It's uh, wor working with Nick and his team who are literally the best. So Nick as director uh, and then his, his, um, editors and, and director of photographies and all, all, all of the crew, uh, I knew I was in really good hands. So what he did is left me up to doing my thing, which is dreaming, coming up with the storylines, coming up with who should be in the film, working together, collaborating. It was one of the most fun things I've ever done. There, there was literally zero anxiety around it. And, only, and we're still only at the beginning of what That's do we awesome. do and what do we do with this thing? And then what do we do next? Because I'm already thinking about, okay, next year we're going to start playing the next film and it's going to be 10 times bigger. I have no idea what it is yet, but that's the fun of it. That's awesome. And I really do think, you know, for me, the power of story and the power of role model is honestly the only reason I'm in the National Hockey League. Like I was able to, from such a young age, be introduced to older players and older storylines that made me believe, you know, someone's going to play in the NHL. Why not me? And that was my storyline. That was my gift that there was never a day that I woke up that I thought anybody else had a better chance than me. All, all things equal. You know, we, we do know about, you know, genetics and height and, and speed, size and all those things, but I've been so blessed to, to have 
enough of a, a natural born skill set to be able to make good on that dream. But it's really through the power of of role models and mentors that is the only reason I've been able to be as successful as I have. And is that why in particular you want to go through the school system first and make it available in schools? Do you think that is an area that can use a dose of optimism, a dose of dreaming, uh, uh, you know, I guess a vote of confidence for dreaming? Well, right now, I think the only, or only maybe a strong word, but the main source of role models for students is either pro athletes, which I love because there's a positive benefit, but then there's like celebrities and entertainers and, you know, YouTube influencers and stuff where, um, if they don't understand what's possible, then that becomes a very narrow focus of, of what they want to do. And I, I believe there's a massive opportunity to connect stories of things that are almost impossible. I am where I am today because I've been exposed to people who I know who are now, who have now become friends who have like, they're billionaires doing big things, but it's not about the money. It's about the change they're making. And I can uplevel myself because I know that they exist. And I think for a lot of kids, they, if they don't know what's possible or who exists, their path becomes very narrow. So what, I w- what I'm hoping to do is showcase what's possible and showcase people that actually exist, that they can model in a different way uh, so that the next generation has new ideas that are different than just, well, I want to do this thing or that thing. Well, you've done that for me. Honestly, every Archangel event I've been able to be a part of, you know, even through our conversation today, there's such a, a richness in the diversity of people and stories that I've been able to listen to. And you listen to Seth Godin, you know, eight years being, uh, you know, down again, down, you know, back against the ropes as an entrepreneur and struggling and struggling and struggling and all the bad writing he did and all his bad ideas to, you know, show up and breakthrough to have all the successful books he has. And, you know, even for someone like yourself to, you know, have success in what you're doing, you know, in real estate, but something in the guts off, something's not feeling right. And being able to, you know, how old were you in your transition again? In terms of over to Archangel out of real estate. Uh, it was 2016. So I was 40. So that's a big number for me to think about transitioning and moving on in my life. Cause that's how long I want to play. Like my goal is whenever, whenever someone says, how long do you want to play? I want to play till I'm 40, which means, you know, I'm 26. Now I have all this time, uh, you know, to dream and test and, and think about this theory and, and try and take some courses there and try and gain some experience there, you know, to hopefully have a second and third and who knows fourth career. Uh, you know, I think uh, we're both a little in the biohacking world. Think we can live to 120 or 150 yep. or die trying kind of thing. Um, that's awesome, Giovanni. And I guess selfishly, I, I do want to end with one question is, so I imagine there's a lot of people that come up to you at events. You know, you are uh, a busy man. You got your hands in a lot of things. You've got a family at home. Why have you been so receptive and warm towards me? And, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a, of a personal question, but I have felt, I think the term pronoia, the first time I ever really felt that that was really a thing was after meeting someone like yourself, where I kind of had this hunger to serve and, and provide uh, lessons of leadership that I felt I was, I was gathering at a young age. 
hockey's a, it's pro sport is a selfish job. You're always thinking about what can I do for myself? Of course, in the lens of how can I provide it my best for the team, but it really can be self-absorbed at times. And I felt that, uh, you've really helped me found, find my voice in a, in a key period of my life in a transformational time. And I got to ask you why. I will answer that in a second. I, I want to ask you a quick question. Have you encountered in your uh, sport many talent scouts? Have you ever met? Yeah, like scouts? hockey scouts and that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What do for they sure. look for? They're looking for the raw tools, you know, frankly, like hockey sense, skating, uh, power size, you know, can this player have the emotional maturity to project at the next level? Um, you know, in a whole wide variety of things and particularly, you know, what kind of role and I'm picking up where you're going with this. So I'm trying to keep it in hockey terms, but that's okay. Well, yeah, I, the, my very, one of my first archangel business cards said superhero talent scout because one of my gifts and superpowers is spotting others like me. And when I say that, it's the the thing I'm looking for is someone who has the capability to influence and impact a lot of other people in a positive way. And I'm always, my radar is always open for people like that. And I'm really, really good at finding them very quickly uh, or spotting them or scouting. So when I met you, it was just like, yep, there's one. He's one of us. So I am, whenever I encounter someone like you, I, I feel like it's my responsibility to support that trend, transformation for you because I'm actually helping the millions of people that you're helping. I can't, I can't, I don't think an individual can change the world, but I can help you and support you and connect you and do all the things for you as the individual, because then that's exponential impact. And if I'm doing that for a thousand people, 10,000, even a hundred thousand people like us, then we are literally going to change the world. Well, let's, let's follow that. Let's follow the numbers and let's end with this. Cause I thought this was brilliant. I shared this actually with my dad, uh, recently when my dad and I talk all the time and, and, uh, you know, I said, dad, I, I, you know, one of my mentors, this, this gentleman, uh, Gio Giovanni, uh, Marcico, he has this term for, he wants to become a billionaire. And I think that I shared this with him and he was nearly in tears on the phone thinking of the size and scope and just the size of the heart. He's never met you. Uh, but when you say Giovanni Marcega wants to become a billionaire, what does that mean? It means helping a billion people. Right. So, and that's what math I love. I always infuse math somehow, but if I help a thousand Connors who each have the capability of helping a million people, I've helped a billion people. There's leverage and, awesome. and exponentiality, if that's a word. <laughs> I, I, I believe you're well on your way, if not already past that. And Gio, uh, you've been more than generous with your time and your brilliance. And I want to say uh, thanks for throwing down. Uh, we'll have to do a side-by-side, -side, see which one was better between you and Dr. Stephanie Seamus. <laughs> so we'll get you the numbers because <laughs> we'll keep it competitive. Competitiveness cool. has its place. Nice. And, uh, but you both have been... So gracious to Lexi and I, uh, such leaders in our lives, uh, such a breath of fresh air in, you know, world and in a, in a, in a brain that sometimes can have a negative bias. And I think, uh, 
You're championing optimism and dreaming, and I know you've been instrumental for me. And for anyone that wants to find more of you, where can they find you? Uh, I know you're on Instagram, uh, Facebook. Instagram is the best one uh, for my profiles. And then if you go to dreamerdocumentary.com, you can register to watch the film once it's released. Uh, I can't wait for that to happen on a big scale. It's awesome. Congratulations again. Um, I, uh, I really appreciate your time today and Gio, you're, you're the best and this podcast was everything I'd hoped. So selfishly, I'm happy. And for everyone in our audience, I, I know you'll learn a lot as well. Um, uh, have a great rest of your night, man. Thanks for throwing down. Thank you so much. Wow. What a podcast. Uh, want to th- say thank you to Giovanni for his time and effort in, in giving birth to this beauty here today. And I want to urge our uh, listener, if you have not checked out his Dreamer documentary, uh, go through his Instagram or through his Facebook group and find access to that as he uh, does a brilliant job. And I have yet to leave an interaction with Giovanni where I have not felt more empowered and and capable myself of achieving my dreams. So I think that uh, that is a gift that you owe to yourself. Three points that I thought Gio brought out uh, in our podcast today that I thought were particularly profound. One was his relationship with paranoia versus pronoia and how the world is, is conspiring to help you. And I know just from my conversation with Giovanni today and in private, he really takes the time and effort to take this, you know, 2 million year old brain or however old our reptilian brain is that can have a negative bias that is so good at detecting threat and learning to consciously put on this lens to see the world as opportunity, to see the world as people as filled with people looking to help you. This concept of pronoia, uh, he really embodies it. The second thing that I think Giovanni is so brilliant for is how he wants to become a billionaire in the sense that he wants to help a billion people. I think uh, particularly in the West, particularly in North America, we are taught, go get a job, get insurance, you know, gain stability in your life. And those things are important for sure. Uh, but richness uh, can be experienced in other ways. And for Giovanni, that comes in the form of helping people. And you can tell uh, he walks the walk. This isn't uh, something he puts on, you know, just to make a quick buck. Like he is as empathetic and as powerful a leader as, as I've been able to meet. Uh, and, you know, fortunately, I, have a, I, have a, I live in a pretty cool world where I'm able to meet some, some outstanding people. And, and Gio's right up there with uh, one, as being one of the finest. And then finally... I want to wrap up with the concept that our gifts untapped become our curse and will show up in our life as despair or anxiety or as depression. Giovanni talks about that in his experience when he left doing uh, DJing in high school to kind of, I don't know, sell his, sell his soul of sort and go for the corporate dream. And, and, you know, he was able to, I think, come to terms with what was missing in his life. And he was able to recognize just how important this sense of alignment is for him. And I think we all share that. I know I do in my life when I'm out of whack and, and not living within my values and, and not doing things that fire me up and inspire me. I'm flat. Life's vanilla. Life's too dull. Uh, and, and frankly, at least for me anyway, I, I can really start to have a, a disliking for myself knowing that I'm not being uh, my best day in, day out for my family, for myself, and and really for you and and my community of of leaders that we're, we're trying to foster here. So check in with those three thoughts uh, this week. How can we 
see the world through the lens of pronoia? How can we make steps towards maybe a billionaire is a tall task? How can we help a million people? How can we help a thousand people? How can we help one person and start there? And then finally, our gifts untapped will haunt us, will curse us. I know it has in my life. Uh, So check in, tune in with yourself. You know, what part of you are you looking to bring to the light? What part of you are you not sharing with the world uh, that's really doing the rest of us a disservice? So thank you for joining us here on the Curious Competitor podcast. I'm very excited uh, to share this episode. Please share it with friends and family that you know uh, can learn something as you have today. Uh, Thank you for, for joining us. And I look forward to jamming again together next week.